everyone, to today's SACPA event. I'm Bev Mintel-Atherstone, and I am your moderator. I've been on the board for about 10 years. This session is being recorded both by SACPA for the audio tapes. You can go to the SACPA website at any time. Anytime you miss a SACPA event, you can go there and listen to the audio tape of both the speaker and the question and answer period. Also, it's being recorded by Shaw TV. And we thank them for being here every week and then putting it on many times during the week. Lunch is $14. Please put it in the baskets and nominate someone at your table to count it so that when it's collected, it's already counted and that it jives with the number of people at your table. Please turn off your cell phones. As you know, we're a volunteer nonprofit organization, and this is our 50th year. Please see Annalise, our administrative manager, if you'd like to purchase or renew your membership. We thank all of our, our support and our, and our partners, including the University of Lethbridge, Country Kitchen Catering for the great lunches, Shaw TV, Lethbridge Herald, and other media who we have today. Our format is 25 to 30 minutes of the talk, followed by lunch and the followed by lunch for half an hour, and then the question period. We finish around 1:30. It's my great delight today to introduce to you Gil McGowan. Gil is serving the third his third term as elected president of the Alberta Federation of Labor, Alberta's largest union advocacy organization representing more than 170,000 workers from unions in both the public and private sectors. He also serves as a board member for Friends of Medicare and the University of Alberta Parkland Institute. Under Gil McGowan's leadership, the AFL has been successful in moving a number of work-related issues to the center of public debate in Alberta. Currently as president of the AFL and together with the government, he has been working on the Labor Code, Employment, Employment Statistics Code, Occupational and Safety Code, and the WCB Act. Mr. McGowan will talk today about what a progressive civil society has to do in the face of a post-truth political campaign. That's post-truth. Let's all welcome Gil McGowan. Thanks, Bev, and uh, perhaps I should begin with an apology because some of you may have read the notice for this meeting and might have been expecting uh, a discussion about the minimum wage, and I'm, I'm happy to talk about that in the Q&A, uh, but because we're edging towards a provincial election, uh, one that may be a watershed election, uh, I wanted to put on a little bit of a different hat. And so uh, while I am here as president of the Alberta Federation of Labor uh, and, and a labor advocate and activist, uh, I'm here also as a member and a leader in Alberta progressive civil society. Um, 
and I wanted to talk to you about the concerns that we have in the labor movement, and I think they're concerns that uh, increasingly are shared by uh, other progressive people uh, around the province uh, about some troubling trends that we're seeing uh, starting to develop and play out on the political landscape. In particular, uh, what we're starting to see, and what I'm afraid we're going to see a lot more of as we move towards the next provincial election, uh, is the introduction uh, of strategies that have now become sadly familiar south of the border, uh, used by uh, politicians um, like this guy, <laughs> uh, the President of the United States, Donald Trump. Uh, and uh, he has become a master uh, in the use of what some people have described as post-truth strategies in, in politics. Uh, and um, uh, by post-truth, I mean uh, the increasing willingness on behalf of politicians and political parties uh, to shamelessly use mistruths uh, as a vehicle of persuasion. Uh, I know some of you might say, well, politicians always lie, or at least bend the truth. Uh, and and, and I, I'll concede that 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 is that, that certainly is the reputation of politicians and it has been the practice. Uh, politicians make promises, they don't always follow through. Uh, but what we've seen with uh, Donald Trump and what I'm afraid we're seeing increasingly uh, here in Alberta, especially with parties like uh, the United Conservative Party, the UCP and its leader, Jason Kenney, uh, is a willingness to go beyond bending the truth uh, and, uh, and, a, and a willingness to actually embrace uh, what I would describe as a post-truth post strategy. In fact, um, what, uh, what Donald Trump has been so successful with and uh, what we think uh, the UCP and Jason Kenney are flirting with uh, is a strategy for um, persuasion, and that's a gentle term, uh, <laughs> uh, that was actually developed and implemented uh, by uh, Russian um, uh, spy masters. And uh, what you see on the screen uh, is the title of a, uh, a study written by policy analysts at the RAND Corporation, which is a big think tank in the States. Uh, and uh, they talk about the strategy that has been used so successfully uh, by the Russians uh, to intervene in democratic elections in places like the United States. Uh, we've seen similar strategies uh, unfold in places like France uh, and in the UK. Uh, and the strategy that they use uh, has been given the, the, the term firehood of falsehoods. Uh, it's a propaganda model um, that uh, basically is designed with shamelessly using untruths, not even trying uh, you know, to you know, to, to tell tell the truth, um, but uh, but flooding people with it, and uh, the distinctive features uh, of this strategy, uh, and I think a lot of us sadly are familiar with them, uh, include high volume and multi-channel repetition, uh, continuous, repetitive, rapid repetition of messages, uh, and it's a strategy that lacks commitment to objective reality. Uh, and it lacks a commitment to consistency. Um, you'd think that because this strategy uh, is so blatant, it would be uh, 
unsuccessful, but we've seen south of the border that it actually can be successful. And one of the reasons that it is is because, uh, frankly, a lot of people don't have time uh, to double check. So first impressions uh, are, are, are very powerful, they're very resilient, uh, and uh, the repetition of the message, even if it's based on a falsehood, uh, leads to familiarity, and familiarity leads to acceptance. Um, so, unfortunately, um, you know, as you know, as president of the Federation of Labor, I'm a political animal. Uh, I am an elected politician in the labor movement. I'm the chief lobbyist for uh, unions in this province, and uh, so I'm, I spend a lot of time. In the old days, I spent a lot of time outside the legislature. Now that we have a progressive government, I spend a lot of time inside the legislature uh, because we have a government that's willing to sit down and consult with. Um, uh, with the labor movement. But I've been an observer of politics in Alberta for a long time, and, uh, and I'm troubled with what I see. Uh, and, I, and, and I'm going to make the bold assertion that we have one party in this province that has uh, either uh, unconsciously, but I would say it's consciously, adopted this uh, firehood of falsehood propaganda model as the central part of their approach to politics. So. Um, you know, reading over the, the, the RAND uh, document, they say uh, that A, that this kind of strategy is effective, uh, but they also go on to say that the only way you can counteract it uh, is by calling it out, by uh, naming uh, the strategy, saying we know what you're doing, and then doing your best to try to debunk, uh, you know, all the, the lies that are put out in, a, in, in an effort to sort of bend people's minds towards uh, one candidate or another. So what I'd like to do today is to reverse the fire hose, okay? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, when, and by that I mean I want to, uh, you know, meet what I would describe as a fire hose of falsehoods coming from the UCP and Jason Kenney uh, and turn a fire hose of truth uh, on 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 those uh, those falsehoods, and uh, if, I'm going to have to because of the time constraints, I'm going to have to run through it. But this actually serves the purpose, and because once once you see my list, because what I'm going to do for you right now is present you with some of the things that all of us have heard from Jason Kenney, presented as fact, uh, designed to undermine confidence in the current government and presumably increase support for the UCP and their candidates. But we've all heard these things presented as fact. And we hear them over and over again. Sometimes we hear them multiple times from multiple sources in the same day. And some of them, uh, even, even if you're progressive uh, in, in your political leanings, you may not have questioned them. But uh, what I'm gonna do is give you a rapid fire, uh, fire hose of alternative uh, information uh, to what you often hear from um, from Jason Kenney and I will character I'll, I'm gonna be blunt about this uh, there there there's argument in politics uh, but this is beyond argument and perspective okay so let's start with uh, the first thing that we hear uh, from uh, from people like J Jason Kenney uh, the first thing that we often hear is that uh, uh, the, the, the recession that we've just emerged from is the result of government policy. 
And I'll just draw your attention to this chart, is a, is a chart of uh, oil prices. Uh, this is not a hard one for me to convince people of, okay? Uh, the, the real economic challenge faced by this province uh, is not the result of any policy implemented by the current government. Uh, it is the direct result of the precipitous decline, uh, collapse, I would even say, in the price of oil from over $110 a barrel uh, to only about $25 a barrel in the course of less than a year. Uh, and I would submit to you that any government, regardless of their political stripe, would have struggled in the same kind of situation, especially when you consider that, uh, you know, depending how you define it, about 40% of our uh, provincial GDP is driven by the oil and gas sector. So when you see the, the primary driver of the economy, the thing that that, 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 that sector of the economy is, is buying and selling, the price de uh, declines that quickly, uh, regardless of your political stripe, regardless of the policies that you embrace, you're gonna have a problem. So, I don't know how many times people have, have heard um, the, the economy in Alberta being described as disastrous, right? How many times have you heard that in, in, the, last, in the last six months? Heck, maybe even, even the last week, right? But nothing could be further from the truth. Um, this is a list of uh, forecasts for Alberta's economic growth. Uh, from you know, from credible economic sources, so Scotia Bank, Bank of Montreal, uh, Royal Bank, Alberta Treasury Branch, TD, the Conference Board, uh, they all agree uh, that the Alberta economy will grow at a rate that uh, far exceeds the growth in any other province. So just I'll repeat that, despite the fact that people like Jason Kenney are saying that the economy is disastrous. Uh, we are growing at a rate uh, in excess of any other province in the country. Um, uh, just to further illustrate the point, uh, this is uh, uh, a, a graph that uh, maps out uh, retail sales, uh, and you can see that the retail sales did suffer during the recession, uh, but they're, they're going up, and they're going up much faster than most economists had projected, and in fact, uh, retail sales uh, in Alberta right now are at a higher level than they were before uh, the collapse of oil prices and before the recession began. Similarly, uh, wholesale trade in Alberta has recovered and is now uh, is above where it was before the price of oil dropped. And uh, and just to put it in another perspective, so you know, yes, you know, Alberta uh, economy is growing, and someone might say, well. It's you know, it only seems like a, a you know, a rapid growth uh, because it had been shrinking. Uh, so what are the absolute numbers? Uh, this graph shows uh, GDP per capita uh, for 2017 by province. And what you can see is that there is no province in the country uh, that has a higher uh, gross domestic product per person than Alberta. And that is basically the definition of wealth. Okay, uh, and this is not for, uh, you know, 2014 or the end of the conservative era. This is for uh, Alberta in, uh, in 2017. Uh, similarly, uh, if you want to look at another measure of our economic health, uh, you can look at statistics on personal income per capita. Uh, and what this chart shows uh, is personal wealth, personal income. Uh, for uh, a number of cities across the country, not just in, uh, in Alberta, 
but our two big cities, Calgary and Edmonton, lead the pack um, uh, in terms of uh, personal income per capita. Uh, and in fact, when it comes to um, uh, personal income per capita in Calgary, literally no other city in the entire country comes even close. And once again, these are numbers uh, for 2017 when we were still uh, struggling to emerge from recession. So we've heard lies about the true state of our economy. Uh, we've also heard lies and misrepresentations about certain government policies. Uh, and I'll go through a few of them. Uh, the minimum wage is one. Uh, so we've heard over and over again uh, that a minimum wage uh, increase is not necessary uh, because the, the only people working for minimum wage are teenagers living in their parents' basement and uh, you know, uh, you know, not paying room or board and only uh, needing money to pay for things like CDs and vacations. Um, nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, the reality is that before the New Democrats became government, uh, we had, despite our prosperity, uh, we had the lowest uh, minimum wage in the country, uh, and uh, the people who were struggling to make ends meet on that, that amount or close to it uh, were not teenagers uh, living with their parents. They were, uh, they were adults, many of them uh, with post-secondary degrees. Uh, the majority of them were women. Uh, a lot of them were working full-time, not going to school, and many, many of them had dependents. And so what the low minimum wage meant uh, was that they, meant that, that they lived in poverty, plain and simple. Um, similarly, um, there are a lot of people, uh, and you've heard this over and over again, that, uh, that the minimum wage increase is killing jobs. How many times have you heard that? Um, now, if it were true, if it were true that the minimum wage was actually killing jobs, uh, you would see it reflected in the numbers. And, and I'll tell you, as a, as a labor leader who follows labor market information on a regular basis, there has been no collapse uh, in employment, and, and especially uh, when it comes to employment uh, in those sectors where the minimum wage has actually been increasing most. So, um, you know, the, the food service sector, uh, other low wage service sectors, and the other group, and this is what this slide shows you, uh, is employment rates for uh, young workers, people between the ages of 15 and 24. Um, now we've been sort of living with a sort of a real life, a real time experiment uh, here in Alberta and our neighbor in Saskatchewan. Now, we increased our minimum wage <laughs> to something closer to a living wage, or, or at least we're in the process of doing that. Saskatchewan, where they have a more conservative government, did not. Now, if it were true that, uh, that the minimum wage kills jobs, you would expect to see employment for young workers uh, go down in Alberta and either go up or stay the same in Saskatchewan. Uh, but that is not what happened. And so what this chart shows is it shows you when the minimum wages were increased in Alberta. And you can see uh, that our labor markets for young workers uh, are virtually identical, which is what you would expect uh, because our economies are very similar, uh, both being based on oil and gas. Um, the next thing I'll point out, and this may seem a little esoteric, this is a, you know, uh, people say, well, it's a big increase. It's a big increase, a, you know, 50% increase over a short period of time. Uh, but what this shows uh, is what economists talk about 
uh, being the optimal minimum wage. They say a minimum wage should be set at about 50% of the median. That's the best, uh, you know, like, uh, and uh, that's the best place to set a, a minimum wage, 50% of the median. Guess what the, the median in Alberta is? We have the highest me median wage in the country still, uh, and it is $30 an hour. So by bringing our minimum wage up to $15 an hour, we're just bringing it up to where economists say it should be. And interestingly, that's where almost all the minimum, minimum wages in other provinces already were. So even though we're gonna have the highest minimum wage in nominal terms at $15 an hour as a percentage of the median, we're, we're literally catching up to the rest of the country just now. Um, I'm just gonna move along because I'm conscious that I have an awful lot of slides. Um, <laughs> another thing that you've heard <laughs> that, uh, that government policies like the minimum wage uh, and, uh, and the carbon tax will result in inflation, right? And, uh, you know, these kind of arguments have what uh, the comedian Stephen Colbert used to talk, he, used, he called it truthiness. It sounds true. It might be, it sounds like it might be true, but it's not, okay? So when businesses say, oh, if you increase the minimum wage, it's gonna lead to rapid inflation. Well, you can say that, but let's actually look at the numbers. And what this chart shows is uh, inflation rates um, over, the last, uh, over the last year in Alberta when we've in increased the minimum wage. And what it shows is that we actually have the lowest rate of inflation in the country. So the minimum wage has not led to inflation of any sort in Alberta. Um, another argument that, uh, that you've heard over and over, and it's repeated as if it were true, and I would argue that it is an example of this post-truth political strategy that I talked about off the top, is that Alberta uh, and the NDP government in this province, through their policies, is driving away investment. How many times have people, this is, this is one of those things that even progressives sometimes believe, okay? Because they haven't seen the numbers to refute it. But here they are, okay? So what this chart shows is capital spending uh, per capita by province. And uh, what you see, Alberta's over there on uh, my left-hand side, your right-hand side. Uh, and the, the red is oil and gas spending, the blue is everything else. Uh, and what you see is that we lead the country uh, in terms of per capita business investment. Business investment. This is not public sector investment. This is business investment. The only province that uh, has a per cap higher per capita rate of business investment is Newfoundland, and that's because they also have oil and they have a tiny population. That's the only reason, right? So uh, we, we far, I mean, we, our level of business investment uh, is literally triple under a new Democrat government, it's literally triple the level of business investment in places like Ontario and Quebec, okay? So that puts that in perspective. Um, here's another argument that we've heard over and over again. And how many, t I, I, I would actually say that people in this room have probably even heard this argument today, that NDP policies are killing the oil and gas sector. We're killing the golden goose. That's one of those things that someone like Jason Kenney can say and he gets away with it because it has that air of truthiness, okay? People assume that it's true because, you know, there's a stereotype about the New Democrats being anti-oil and gas. But once again, 
despite its air of truthiness, this is an example of an argument that does not uh, bear out when you actually look at the numbers. What this chart shows uh, is, uh, is the year-over-year -year change in drilling activity uh, in three of the western provinces that actually have oil and gas. Uh, and what you see uh, is that uh, drilling activity is up in BC, it's up in Alberta, and in Saskatchewan, which uh, is supposed to be the poster child for those people on the right side of the political spectrum because it's led by Brad Wall and the Saskatchewan party, somehow uh, their drilling activity is shrinking while ours with a new Democrat government is growing. So uh, I'm not going to suggest that the new Democrats through their policies t should take credit for all of that. I'm just saying that uh, y you can't say that they are driving away investment because the, the statistics show otherwise. Similarly, another argument that we've heard over and over again, repeated uh, ad nauseum, is that uh, the NDP and their policies here in Alberta are driving investment in oil and gas away from Alberta uh, to other parts of North America, in particular the United States. Okay, and I've just been given the five-minute warning, so I'm going <laughs> to have to move kind of quickly here. But this is an important one, because this is an argument that we've heard over and over, right? We've heard over and over uh, that, uh, that, uh, that investment uh, is being driven out of the province. What this chart shows is oil and gas spending, capital spending, uh, in Canada, which is largely like 75% of oil and gas spending is spent right here in Alberta. Uh, so it's comparing oil and gas capital expenditure between Canada, Canada and the United States uh, since January uh, 2014. And what you'll see is that investment declined. But it declined everywhere, and it declined everywhere equally uh, and it was really about price it wasn't about royalty policy it wasn't about carbon taxes it was about the price of the product when the price is high companies invest when the price is low they pull back and that was true whether it was uh, Alberta Saskatchewan and in this chart what it shows is that the same thing happened in the United States um, so, and what, in fact, what we're seeing right now is, uh, is a dramatic increase in spending here in, uh, in, uh, in Alberta. Uh, spending is ramping up in the oil patch. Um, and I'm running out of time, but, uh, and my fire, I haven't been, I, I actually haven't been aiming my fire hose at you fast enough. <laughs> but what I can do uh, when, when we, because when we, uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna wrap up this portion we're gonna have lunch. We'll have a Q and A, and I can, if uh, in response to your questions, I can talk about some of the other uh, lies and half truths and myths truths that are being told over and over again, uh, that are distorting the conversation uh, that we as Albertans are having in advance of the next election. And um, and I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna go. You can see how many slides I have. Uh, and uh, I'm gonna go to my last slide whoops and uh, and wrap up and as I'm gonna say as what is our task what is our task as civil society well our task uh, as members of civil society uh, as people who believe uh, that democracy requires truth um, our first task is 
to expose these post-truth tactics. Uh, it is the best defense against the use of these tactics and their influence on the, uh, on the, uh, on, on the uh, process of the election and the outcome of the election. So we have to you know, let people know that this is happening and so that they can be more skeptical when they, when they hear arguments that perhaps don't jibe with what they think uh, or, or what they know. Second, uh, we need to reject the politicians and parties who use these tactics. Uh, and, uh, and we need to do that because we have to stop the spread of these kind of uh, politics, the kind of politics that uh, frankly has become a cancer uh, south of the border. We have to stop those kind of politics and those kind of strategies from uh, coming north across the border. Uh, and finally, uh, we actually have to start asking ourselves, what are the real problems facing Alberta today? Uh, and which parties are best suited, best positioned, and most committed to dealing with them? Uh, things like climate change, uh, which party is most likely to do their part uh, to address climate change? Things like inequality, which party is best positioned uh, and most committed to address those things? Uh, and even things like um, revenue reform uh, to pay for our public services. Because, you know, the, the, big, the big issue that, uh, the, uh, and I would argue the only issue where the New Democrats are struggling is that issue of the deficit. And uh, I had charts on that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the deficit uh, is the result uh, of the collapse in the price of oil uh, first. But second, and perhaps more importantly, it is the result of decisions made by previous governments in this province uh, to undermine the revenue base that we need to pay for our public services. So starting with Ralph Klein, uh, we saw a, a steady erosion of, um, of, of tax revenue because they were giving successive tax breaks to, to wealthy people, to corporations, uh, to the point where Alberta now collects only about uh, eleven percent of our economy of our provincial GDP to pay for public services compared to about twenty percent in other, every other province that wasn't always the case when when Peter Lougheed was premier we were closer to twenty percent even when Ralph Klein himself balanced the budget he had a progressive tax system uh, and he was closer to twenty percent of GDP so uh, it was political choices that broke the revenue system that we needed to pay for our public services. The only way that, um, that uh, governments after Ralph Klein were able to balance the budget was by using resource revenue to help fill that gap. Now that, now that the price of oil is down, resource revenue is dried up, there is a hole and almost, like there's, there's, a, there's a $10 billion deficit. Almost that entire $10 billion uh, had been covered by royalty revenue. So if we had a tax system that looked more like Saskatchewan even, almost all of that would disappear. So, um, so, so, that, and so, and so that's, what th that's our final task is to figure out what are the real problems as opposed to the ones that are made up for us? Uh, what are the real challenges and which parties uh, are best suited to actually address those problems and which do we know in our hearts won't even touch them? So thank you very much uh, for this opportunity, and uh, I look forward to the lunch, uh, and I also look forward to the Q&A session. Thank you.